welcome to another episode of Two Guys and a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. Well, Craig, as you well know, and hopefully our listeners have figured out by now, we're finishing up a month of family-friendly horror films. This is our first theme month. We've done The Witches. We've done The Gate. What else did we do? Watcher in the Woods. Watcher in the Woods, a Disney movie. Disney's first foray into horror back in the 80s. So the movie that we are going to do today is another child of the 80s. I was really excited about this movie. I remembered seeing this film on the shelves. I never picked it up and rented it, but it had a very compelling box cover art. I was a kid standing in front of what looked like his bedroom closet with some glowing and some toys and things flying out of it and a ventriloquist dummy there and there was electricity everywhere. It looked kind of cool, but for some reason I never picked it up on the shelves. And then when we were looking for movies to do that were kid-friendly, I was reminded of this after I saw a review of it online. The movie, by the way, is called Making Contact from 1985, and it says, this review said, Roland Emmerich's terrible knockoff of Poltergeist, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Firestarter, and E.T., stuffed with so much 80s nostalgia, you would think it was made in 2017. (laughs) It says, fans of Stranger Things might cream their loser pants over this piece of garbage. (laughs) F*** this movie and all of those involved in the making of it suck my dick. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) I mean, don't hold back. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so this review really sold it for me. Because, you know, you and I are both uh, big fans of 80s nostalgia. And so I thought, I remember the cover of this, 1985. This must be the kind of lost kids... 80s fantasy horror movie that I've been looking for. And so I said to Craig, let's watch this movie. And of course, you seemed pretty interested in it, probably for similar reasons, right? Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I too, I'm, I'm sitting here looking at it right now, the, the box art, uh, and it's so familiar. And I was just sure that I would start watching it and would remember that I had seen it. And I just don't know. <laughs> I don't remember if I did or not. If I did, it apparently wasn't particularly memorable to me at the time, because I didn't really remember it. I think it's hard to know for sure, because this movie is just a mishmash of stuff, that it's kind of hard to... It was even hard for me to get a grasp on the whole thing. Uh, I mean, I feel like I could have watched this movie, and I never would have known. It would have just slipped into my mind next to all those other movies that were just rattled off um, yeah. in that space in my head. And so I went looking for it. And actually, it's a hard movie to find online. It doesn't seem to be available for streaming anywhere. There was a DVD version, a couple DVD versions of it made. What we ended up finding was on YouTube, somebody has posted a version that has been dubbed into German, but subtitled in English. <laughs> but the the quality is really nice. Uh, I think I might have found another version out there that was taken from the VHS tape, but it wasn't widescreen, and it was really muddy and dark and didn't seem very watchable. Plus, this version, apparently, that was released in Germany had some a more complete version than the one that was released in the States. It had some missing scenes put in there. And so it was 
perhaps a little closer to director Roland Emmerich's vision. Now, Roland Emmerich himself is pretty darn famous. I mean, he has made a lot of big-time Hollywood movies after this. Maybe this movie became his calling card in a way, just to say that, you know, he's capable of doing something big scale. Because as much bad things as I'm going to say about this movie, uh, at least I can say that it's a pretty well-made film visually, stylistically, it does have those great elements that I think you can see in his later movies, such as Independence Day, right? Gosh, mm-hmm. Godzilla. He's just like, if you name a big Hollywood blockbuster from the 90s or the early 2000s, uh, chances are pretty good that it was directed by him. He's done a, about a dozen of them. So, yeah, but this is his first. And he's he's German. He's from Germany. This was actually shot in West Germany, but he did shoot it in English uh, and set it in the United States so that he could sell it to an American audience. And it was originally called Joey, not making contact, because it does center around this young boy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Jump in any time. What, yeah, I, I don't know what you to say more than you said, really. I, I mean, the biggest thing that I would say about it is it, it does feel like a knockoff of several of those movies that you've listed. For me, especially Poltergeist and E.T. I mean, there are just kind of some beat-for-beat plot elements and scenes that if you looked at it askance you would think you were watching Poltergeist or E.T. Yeah. Uh, and I mean it, it. it's not as though it does it particularly badly it's fine but it, it's just so obviously a knockoff of those things um, that it's just kind of hard to get past that. I, I was really looking forward to it too and Ultimately, I was kind of disappointed, not so much in how it looked, because it doesn't look bad. I mean, it looks comparable to some of those other movies that we've already mentioned in terms of quality of the special effects and and things like that. It, It certainly, you know, shows its age as coming from the 80s the the visual effects aren't as seamless as some of the cgi stuff that we have today but it it doesn't look bad i think that ultimately what i was most disappointed in was not necessarily the writing of the dialogue which frankly there's really not very much dialogue in the movie no but rather the storytelling I I was never really exactly sure what was going on. Mm -hmm. I didn't really... Like, there's a villain, but I didn't really understand what the villain's motivations were other than just being evil. (laughs) The ending is ambiguous. Now, apparently, the American cut is a little bit less ambiguous. I wish I had that available so that I could make comparisons, but ultimately, it just didn't really come together for me and when it was over i was like eh. <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's all right <laughs> maybe we're being too kind i i guess <laughs> another person might look at this movie and say this is a rip off 
shameless ripoff of Steven Spielberg, just cut and paste from his movies. Um, like you said, almost scene for scene. And then that same person might also say it's incomprehensible because that is kind of how I felt about it. You know, I was really trying hard to follow this plot. And I was so frustrated because this plot should be pretty freaking simple. It's not like this is a globetrotting adventure. It's a boy uh, who has just lost his father. The very first scene of the movie is your classic scene in the cemetery where they're all sitting around the funeral. And these people are coming up and, you know, after the funeral's done, shaking hands with the boy and the rest of the family as they go by. And the boy doesn't really talk. Actually, you, you like you kind of like you said, he doesn't talk much through the whole movie. I wonder if it's because these actors were all German, mm. but they were English speaking. So... Maybe their English wasn't that great, so could be. they just didn't do very much talking. It could be, but but it has the effect, really, of showing just how depressed this kid is uh, at his father being gone. Either that or he's just a quiet kid. I, at first, was really pretty moved by this. and I don't know, maybe, again, I get a little emotional about some of these things sometimes, being a father now. Uh, I just think of like uh, of of these sorts of I don't know things just hit me in a slightly different way in these movies, but I really did feel for this kid uh, in the beginning, just that he is is sad, uh, he's lost his father, and then it also seems like this kid has some psychic abilities. Again, we're we're getting in more into the the paranormal telekinesis. Is that what you call it? Yeah. When a person can move things with their mind. Right, but I mean that's the beginning of how it doesn't make sense because it seems like this is new. Like mm. it's not like he always had these psychic abilities. It's only now that his father has passed away. And it start. I mean, there's a sweet little flashback of him playing basketball with his dad, and he's like sit in real time he's sitting in his room you know being sad thinking about his dad or whatever and he says i think either in his mind or out loud i don't remember um daddy please come back and then all of a sudden the his toys start moving around on their own and this song starts playing that's like (laughs) hey joey daddy's on the phone Like, like <laughs> it's so weird. And, and he gets scared, and he closes his eyes, and they stop, but then they pretty much just kind of start up again, mm. and, like, there's all these, like, just little toy balls that are rolling around, and at some point, they all circle around this little robot that looks like R2-D2's taller, <laughs> older brother. Yeah. But he has <laughs> eyes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, how many things can you rip off <laughs> in this movie? Well, well th- I mean, there is a lot of direct Star Wars reference in yeah. this movie. I was actually surprised that they could do that. I Like, you couldn't do that today. This movie had a budget of, what, like, a million and a half, something like that? Yeah. I mean, you just wouldn't, you couldn't buy the rights to that imagery for that probably today (laughs) that's true i was kind of surprised but eventually so this little robot whose name is charlie and then just kind of ends up being his sidekick for the rest of the movie just kind of follows him around (sighs) 
And again, another issue that I have with it is eventually the mom kind of catches on to this and she just kind of thinks it's charming, like not <laughs> weird at all. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, straight out of Poltergeist, a toy telephone starts ringing in the closet and it's this little red phone and it glows and he picks it up and he starts talking in it. And there's all kind of weird things going on, like flashing lights and wind in his room, and the the city's payphones are ringing. And at first he's scared, but as it turns out, he's talking to his dad on this phone, and his mom even overhears it. And I'm willing to excuse this because I don't think that it would be out of the realm of reality for a kid to make believe talking to his deceased parent on the phone. You know that seems like a coping mechanism kind of deal so i didn't really question it when she just kind of heard and walked away the first time well let's just say too this was i thought a really heartbreaking scene i mean we know that something supernatural and weird is going on but from the mother's perspective hearing this again i kind of put myself in her shoes and i imagined oh this kid just thinks he's talking to his dad and i was like oh my gosh this is just so terrible (laughs) but see that's the thing i was confused almost from the beginning because is he really talking to his dad yeah that's a good question I, I don't know. I don't know if he really... It, like, ultimately, I think that the suggestion is that he is, but I'm not really sure, because pretty soon, then things start to get weird. Yeah, he he has breakfast the next morning, and Mom's talking with him. Well, no, he's at school, I guess. The kids are making fun of him in his class. He's in, like, a science class, and they're doing something with eggs, and the teacher's walking around. Again, it's this classic scene, and some kids pass him a little note with something wrapped inside of it, and when he opens it up, there's, like, a little skeleton, a little toy skeleton in there, Uh and the note says, this is what your dad looks like now. I mean, the most cruel thing you can imagine. And again, my heart's breaking for this kid, and I'm thinking, yeah, this is the kind of thing that the real asshole kid in class would do. And the teacher finds it, and he says, lectures them just a little bit about how that is, and how about how his, you know, he misses his dad. And then using his clairvoyant capabilities while the teacher's back is turned, like the teacher says, who took his egg? Where's his egg? And while the teacher's walking around the class accusing people of taking this kid's egg, he manages to force lift (laughs) an egg from the girl who's sitting next to him and bring it over to his desk along with a ruler across the desk so that it can like roll it across like a bridge exactly right but like these things are like floating like just completely floating in the air and i guess she is the only other person who can see this happening or who notices i suppose yeah i mean it's pretty freaking obvious you everybody's back has to be completely turned to not see this ruler completely floating through the air coming down on and then this egg going there and then somehow the and I think it was just the cut of our movie or something that the egg ends up in the teacher's hand all broken. Yeah, it explodes on him or something. And again, I mean, this scene is right out of E.T. It's the exact same scene mm-hmm. with the, the frog dissection in mm-hmm. E.T. Right up to, you know, the girl sitting next to him with pigtails. Like, <laughs> and this kid, I mean, he's a cute little kid, you know, this little German actor. But he even looks like Elliot from E.T. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's it's a ripoff, <laughs> and again, it's not poorly done. It's fine. If if it weren't, if I had never seen ET, if ET didn't exist, it wouldn't affect me. It's fine, but it's just so clearly yeah. stolen 
directly from the movie. And so then, of course, like the teacher, you can tell it's it's this young male teacher. You can tell from the beginning that he's going to be like the intervening grown up. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, the teacher goes and talks to the mom or the mom has to come in or something. I don't remember. And everything, it, it's like, to me, it's like they there's an inkling of everything but nothing ever really follows through like Mm. to me i'm thinking oh okay obviously this attractive younger middle-aged teacher they're setting him up to be not a replacement but you know there for the mom and yeah it almost seems like they're kind of setting up a relationship there but it doesn't go anywhere no and i feel like that's kind of that's kind of how you can describe the movie like <laughs> they set something up but it doesn't really go anywhere yeah it, it's funny because he just sort of comes and goes like uh like he kind of pops out after a while and then maybe i don't know two-thirds of the way through the movie pops back in and i'm like oh yeah there's that guy is he still interested in this family like <laughs> you know right. he just kind of comes and goes he's not really there i mean the the boy is the only real central figure in this everybody else in the movie does kind of come and go i mean he's got this group of friends i guess i wasn't really clear who everybody was they're just a group of kids they don't have these real distinct personalities we don't really spend much time with them and they also kind of come and go and i couldn't tell if they were regular friends of his or just people in the neighborhood he would occasionally get together and play with or something well in my notes i kept referring to them as the bullies but it was like every other kid in his class yeah but they're all kind of, they're all kind of mean to him throughout until the very, very end, and then it's like they're, they're concerned about him all of a sudden. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really unclear. And right, like, they're just this collective group of kids. Like, they don't have any – I don't know any of their names. Um, they don't have any defining characteristics, really. It's just this group of kids who kind of bother him. Yeah, <laughs> the whole movie. Exactly, and then show concern at the end. Yeah, but my fate. One of my favorite parts is right after this. At some point, he and his dog go and explore the spooky mansion next door, which is <laughs> which is quite literally the Bates Motel. It is. It is the mansion at the Bates Motel. <laughs> oh. And I. It just didn't make like. <laughs> did did they just realize that they live next door to the Bates Motel? Like, like the, the, I, I, at first I couldn't even tell. Like at first I thought maybe they had gone on a vacation, but no, this is where they live. This is their house, and this big spooky mansion is right next door. Oh but yeah. But it's only now that he's going in to explore it. <laughs> I think. What are the balls that it takes to put this mansion from the Bates Motel in your movie? There's no more recognizable, old, creepy mansion in all of cinema. You immediately look at it and know what it is. It's just too familiar for anybody to ever use. In the, I, I feel like maybe there was one other movie we watched where somebody tried to use this set or, or something. Uh, I don't know, but you just can't do it. But they did it, and it just adds to this feeling that this movie is a cobbled-together ripoff of so many things. And also at this time, I think the reason that they're going into the mansion is because his little robot, which has a complete mind and personality of its own, and nobody thinks anything of this, has wandered off. He and his dog are chasing it through the woods, and he keeps calling it, Charlie, 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 don't go in there, Charlie! 
and the Charlie goes into the mansion, and they have to go in after him. Okay. Motivation. All right. Yeah, there was a slight <laughs> motivation, but like you say, uh, you're this age. Certainly, you would have been in this place before. All the neighborhood kids seem to be exploring it as well. And again, I got to say, I, I love this 80s thing where robots just have personalities, and they go around, and they talk, and they do things, yeah. and nobody notices or cares. Doing these silly little things on your own with clearly intelligence. Anyway, so yeah, so the little R2-D2 clone goes in there to the Bates Motel, uh, and he falls down uh, somewhere. Again, we don't really have a sense of geography in this place either. It's real. There's nothing wrong (laughs) with these scenes of them in the mansion. All I get a sense of is it's like a big closet. Right. There's just a bunch of random crap everywhere, and it seems maybe like it's just one big room or one small room, and in there... Uh, as the robot goes in, there is a little wooden box that slowly opens on its own. Uh, keep in mind, everything's completely covered in cobwebs. It's like nobody has touched this place for decades. And inside this box is a little ventriloquist dummy. And the dummy opens its eyes and turns its head and looks at the robot. And I think zaps the robot with some electricity or something from his eyes. Somehow... The robot gets startled or incapacitated and falls down and and can't warn Joey <laughs> about the presence of this dummy, I guess. Because Joey comes around the corner, finds the robot, sees the dummy, and is intrigued by the dummy and decides to take the dummy back to his house. Yeah, and I mean, the, the, the dummy, I think ventriloquist dummies are spooky anyway. I've seen enough horror movies with them that I just kind of find them creepy but aside from that like it just looks scary like it it doesn't look friendly at all right away it starts like in the house like i guess the little robots running around and the dummy makes all the other like stuffed animals like attack it so that (laughs) it's like under a pile of other toys or something and that's again like i feel like there's a little bit of exposition later but i don't about the dummy but it doesn't really explain anything like it's just an evil dummy like just go with it it's a ventriloquist dummy and it's evil just go with it (laughs) (laughs) yeah just like you kind of have to go with everything else joey comes back in and again somehow i don't remember exactly how but the dummy does start moving on joey right Joey's talking to it and asking it, what do you what do you want what do you do and the ventriloquist dummy makes the television turn on to I guess a documentary about himself <laughs> right. and his master that's this is the exposition we get that you referred to just this guy had a dummy and he was the most successful ventriloquist act touring the country and then something bad happened and the documentary even says something about his evil doll or <laughs> went crazy or something like that yeah like the doll was actually a malevolent being like, <laughs> and and then it's so weird like it's like so he had the dummy and they were successful for a while and then they disappeared for a while and then they came back for a while and then something bad happened that's it like, <laughs> so i don't i don't, there's there's no like origin there's no you know did the ventriloquist guy like 
I don't know, like invite an evil spirit into the dummy f- <laughs> for the act. Like there's there's no explanation. Just like, uh, yeah, they were fa- they were famous for a while, and then the dummy was evil, and so they were gone for a while, and then they came back for a while, but then not anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and that's it. The end. <laughs> I mean, it's a ventriloquist with a dummy. I mean, in the world of movies, just accept it's evil. Yeah. <laughs> Just like we can accept this R2-D2 clone can run around and have a personality of his and, own. Yeah, and to show that it's evil, Dad tries to call him again, apparently, but the dummy won't let him talk to his dad. Like, yeah. it throws the phone out of the room. And then it also shows him on the TV. Like, it cuts to, like, surveillance of the mom in the kitchen and the kid's like, no, no, don't mess with my mom. And there are all these knives hanging on the wall. And you see the knives, like, shaking. And she turns around and walks out. And one of the knives, like, gets thrown into the wall, like, a foot from her. But she doesn't notice because she's walking away. And then in the morning, she's, like, making breakfast or whatever. And she looks up and, like, all the knives are in the wall. <laughs> and again, like, it's just like, oh, my gosh. That's weird and scary. Let's carry on. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and at this point, she already knows he's telekinetic because, like, at dinner he like moves his plate and glasses around in front of her, and she again, like in Poltergeist, initially in the first one, she's like the mom in Poltergeist, like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. How do you do that? He's like, Daddy helps me, and she's like, Really? Okay. <laughs> 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 so well, weird. At some point in this, too, the teacher finds this out. He's over at their house, and he makes something move for him as well, right? Yeah, eventually. Uh, I, I don't remember. I feel it's like hard to we, remember the, the order of things in this movie because it's I just... Know. And, and because there are also such random scenes. Like, there's a scene where Joey is hanging out with Pigtails. Sally is her name. And bullies show up with these toy cannons that they terrorize the little robot with and apparently these toy cannons shoot real bullets because <laughs> they shoot the robot but then Joey with his telekinesis like blows them up it, it, again it doesn't go anywhere and once again these kids are just bullies and so yeah. it doesn't there it doesn't make any sense there's no character arc. They just jump from being bullies throughout the whole movie to not at the end. Mm-hmm. I don't get it. But you're right, yeah. Eventually the teacher, see, he comes over like he's concerned. Like, you know, they do this in movies all the time. I teach high school, so I suppose it's different. But do teachers really just, like, all the time just, like, go over to people's houses? Like, <laughs> oh, I'm kind of concerned about Joey. Like... <laughs> <laughs> You're the last thing you probably want to do is attend no. the house of, of go to the... I'm sorry. I don't want to say that about... I'm sure you're a very caring teacher who thinks about yeah. your kids 24-7 even when you're not. Well, the only home visit that I've ever had to do was to jail, so... Oh, <laughs> I've never actually gone to the home just to visit my students in jail. Oh, um, had to do. anyway. Oh, yeah. sorry to hear that, Craig. That's the problem with this movie, really, is that it feels like it's supposed to be building to something, but you just have no idea where it's going. It's not oriented in any particular way. There's no particular plot 
to say of, except there's this kid. We all know he's psychic. We all know there are these bullies in the neighborhood. We know he has a robot that can run around and be his companion. And we know that his dad is calling him on the phone and that there is an evil ventriloquist dummy in his room uh, that is somehow trying to stop that from happening. Yeah, and that's it for about 45 minutes. Yeah. The people in the movie put up with all of this like it's nothing. You know, yeah. At some point, the bullies go into the old spooky house, and then that's like their headquarters from then on. Like it looks like they're <laughs> like running a cult out of this house. They've got candles everywhere. It's weird. And then the teacher comes over, and Joey doesn't show him, but like he's not hiding it. Like the teacher sees the telekinetic stuff. Um, but apparently Joey doesn't like the teacher for some reason. So when the teacher goes to grab his spoon to eat his soup, Joey, I guess, makes it really hot and it burns him. And then the teacher runs into the kitchen and turns on the faucet and puts his hand under the faucet. But his mom's like, no, no. And she grabs his hand and puts it in the fish bowl. And then goes to get ice out of the freezer and then puts the ice in the fishbowl. What? Yeah. <laughs> I was also confused by this. <laughs> what are you doing? Like, I'm pretty sure the faucet was fine. Yeah. <laughs> but no, let's let's ice the fishbowl with the fish in it. That poor fish. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and God. then there's a big, there's like a big effect scene where um, yeah. the dummy uh, traps Joey in his room, and like the dummy can shoot like lightning out of its eyes, and it does that. And the mom and the teacher, I think, are like looking for Joey outside, and things are like the the electricity is flashing, and there's a great big monster in the trash can and yeah what was that all about i i don't know what's going on and then like the doors so joey's still in his bedroom i guess kind of on his bed or in front of his bed and there's i mean as a scene it's quite cool i mean there's a lot of stuff going on and there that glowing red phone is sitting in front of the dummy and the dummy sitting there opening his mouth going no which is basically what he does and then the doors to the closet open. And behind him, the closet now looks like it's this long, endless passageway into something uh, with a disco ball at the top. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is just spinning and sparkling and occasionally shooting light out and stuff in the room. I'm thinking, oh, okay, is this like a passage to another world that he's opening right. up for Joey? Is, is the father going to come walking out? Is Joey going to walk down in there? No, I'm not really sure what happens, right? The scene just kind of stops. Right. Well, like, Joey asks the dummy, what do you want from me? And usually the dummy just growls. When he says, what do you want from me? He says, I want to play a game. And I have no idea what that means because nothing ever comes of it. Like, yeah. <laughs> what game? Did, what? <laughs> it's like you're playing a game with somebody, but you don't know. What the game is like? I, what are we supposed to be doing? I don't. I don't get it. Is it at this point that all of the trucks show up? Yes, what? out of nowhere. Where did this come from? I have no idea. My best. I'll guess tell you was. where it came from. It came from ET. Is where it yeah, came well, from. <laughs> we know that. <laughs> so, the ET set was next door. <laughs> the trucks yeah. drove over. I mean, the, the, all these trucks and vans just out of nowhere. Again, like if you were, if you squint your eyes, you'll believe you're watching ET because it's just all these trucks and vans and all these 
scientists, I guess. Like, I don't even know why they're there and what they're doing. And, like, uh, there's this one head scientist, Dr. Hayden. She's this woman scientist. And apparently she knows all about, like, telekinesis and these other things. But it was actually the phone company that tracked them down. <laughs> like, yeah. what? It was, like, all this crazy energy, I guess, coming from... Because whenever he calls his dad or his dad calls him or however that works on the phone all the phone lines in the area go down for like an hour. Right. Isn't that right? It is right, but... So, okay, so the phone company is working with the telekinesis scientists? <laughs> I think, yeah. You know, when you when, when the phones go down for a while, there are only two explanations. Either <laughs> you send a guy out to check the lines, or you call the CIA and the telekinesis people because there's some serious psychic shit going on. <laughs> we got another right one. It's <laughs> <laughs> clearly happened before. <laughs> And well, and they don't like. There's no like. It kind of seems like they're there just to kind of explore. Like in ET, it seemed kind of ominous. Like you didn't know whether the scientists had good intentions or bad intentions. In this movie, it doesn't really seem like they have any intentions at all. Like they're just hanging out and they're observing. They're setting up exactly like E.T. It's like they're sealing off the house and there's plastic going up everywhere and people are wearing hazmat suits and there's constant chaos and buzzing of activity. For what purpose? Who knows? They're not sealing like an alien entity inside. There's just some weird shit that's been going on with the phones and this kid who is apparently psychic. And this is the point at which the bullies in the neighborhood suddenly start to care about him. No, but at this point, they're not... I I don't even... I didn't understand it. Okay, so maybe. Maybe they start to care about him. But I still thought this was like a sabotage mission. mission. Like, I thought they were trying to... Like, kidnap him or something. I thought they felt like they were trying to rescue him. I don't know. Whatever. But it was kind of cute. I liked that whole bit with the garbage cans. Yeah. (laughs) Where, like, two of the bullies... It's totally a shtick. Like, you've seen it before. Like, they're in these garbage cans that don't have a bottom. And so, like, you'll see they'll pop up and their legs will be in the bottom. And they'll move, like, a few feet and then just plop right back down. And, of course, you know, these military guards... They're like, did I see something? Nah, guess not. (laughs) That garbage can over here. (laughs) And they eventually, they eventually get in, but not before. Like she, the 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 um, scientist is running some tests on Joey, and this was a shot directly out of Flight of the Navigator. Do you remember that movie? Yeah, I do. When they finally get that kid and they're doing tests on him and they like have like sensors like on his head and stuff mm. and they can read what's going on in his brain. It looked like it came right out of that. And he's not talking, like he's like selectively mute. Like he won't speak to the scientists. And the lady scientist is like, "You don't have to be scared. It's okay. There I I know all about this and I know other people like you." And you can learn to master your powers. And she says something like, it's nothing to be scared of because people like you prove that death as we know it doesn't really exist. 
And at some point, she s- explains, like, when people die, they don't really die. They just move to a different world or realm or something. So I think the suggestion is that he really is talking to his dad, but for whatever unexplainable reason, the dummy doesn't want him to. Now I don't know why. I went online... And I was reading different synopsises of this movie. Uh-huh. I was just reading synopsises, trying to figure out what the hell happened. And one of the synopsises I read seemed to think that the dummy was protecting him because it wasn't his dad on the phone. It was the evil spirit of the dummy's former master who was trying to contact the boy. <laughs> it seems like a stretch to me, but certainly yeah. not out of the realm of possibilities because it's never clear. What's going on? <sighs> what happened? Why? Why are we suddenly somehow suddenly the boy is in trouble? Like, are they in the middle of their tests with him, and suddenly he goes into cardiac arrest or something? No, the uh, he just wants them to go away. Pigtails gets in there somehow. I don't know if he says like I can make them go away or something, and she says, "Well, how do you do it?" And he says, "I just have to play the game." And so he opens up his closet. The scientist has said something about how they hadn't seen any toys around. They thought that was weird. Well, he opens up his closet, and it's stuffed to the max full of his toys. And they all fall out to reveal the dummy all bound up and, like, not hanging from its neck by a noose, but just hanging by a rope um, in the closet. And I guess, I don't know, he uses his powers to turn his room into Carol Ann's room from Poltergeist (laughs) with all of the toys flying around. At the same time, all of the bullies, which in the beginning there were like three of them, and over the course of the movie, then at some point there's like eight. I don't know where they all (laughs) came from, but they like siege the house, and they're running around you know causing chaos it's funny because they're running around and screaming and the scientists are just kind of standing there looking on like what's happening (laughs) like like nobody's trying to stop them or do anything they're just like what (laughs) but eventually they get up the scientists open up the door and like the lights are flashing through the slats in the door just like poltergeist and they open it up and he is sitting on the bed with pigtails and the bed is floating and the toys are flying all around and I guess and this is, is this the part where all the Star Wars toys attack the kid in the Darth Vader mask? Oh yeah there's there's an interesting moment where one of these kids comes into the room and he's wearing a Darth Vader mask and it's like he's there to rescue him and it's played up as this very dramatic scene. In fact doesn't his lightsaber actually like light up like a lightsaber? Like, well, I think that's later. Oh. I don't remember the transition. Somehow, they get from their house to the Bates Motel. Yes. Do you remember how they got there? I don't. No. I don't remember. No, I don't. But all he of the kids away. end maybe, up in there. Maybe he runs away and the kids follow him. I don't remember. One way or another, they all leave that. Joey's house and they end up in the Bates Motel which at this point turns into the Hell World from Hellraiser 2 uh, <laughs> it's it's now whereas before like you said it was like a giant closet just full of shit now 
it's like an alternate universe and the kids all get split up and they all face like different monsters like there's mm. like the fat kid sees a giant living cheeseburger that tries to eat him and the Darth Vader kid sees the actual Darth Vader with his lightsaber that like comes on yeah and then at some point i guess at the center of all of this there's an enormous maze yeah and and they're all in the maze and like a giant I, I i don't know if it was the ventriloquist dummy's head or just a random monster but like in, like huge like a giant like godzilla head like pops up out of the middle of the maze for a second only then to descend like a second later like hello and then it's gone like i don't know <laughs> what that's about and then the, the the kids all hook up, and there's, I guess, kind of a showdown at the center of the maze. Because they can't find their way out. Yeah. But when they get to the center, there's an exit door, and the dummy is sitting there in a chair facing the exit door with its back to them. And this is kind of where, I guess, you would call it the final showdown goes down. And you're going to have to walk me through this, because... At this point, I was falling asleep, so I'm not. <laughs> I don't remember exactly what happened here. Well, I'll try. Meanwhile, the scientists and the cops are all looking for the kids. I'm looking at my notes. Uh, giant monster. Uh, they find it sitting by the exit door. Okay, and then like so, the dummy is like sitting on the arm of the chair, and then like the ghost of the ventriloquist like starts to come into focus sitting in the chair and i couldn't tell if it was supposed to be the ventriloquist guy it was i think Mm. but for a second i also thought maybe it was supposed to be the dad i wasn't sure but the maze and the whole alternate reality is starting to collapse around them and so joey begs the real fletcher the ventriloquist for help and the ventriloquist says i don't need to help you have a friend to help you go to the door and it opens up and he just looks in like all of a sudden the pov changes so we're looking at him from the other side of the door and he says daddy and then a light shoots through him and hits the voodoo voodoo doll the ventriloquist (laughs) dummy and the ventriloquist dummy like flies to the back wall and catches on fire and melts and then joey goes on like some trippy flight through (laughs) the black hole or something yeah it's like a crazy it, it lasts for quite a while this camera effect of just i don't know it's like 2001 it's like at this time before we had computer cgi you had to get really creative with how you do these trippy flying through alternate dimension kind of things i felt like maybe joey was going to the other side maybe like the underworld yeah or or whatever alternate plane his dad is on or whatever yeah so there's all that and then it just goes to black and we the sound fades in we hear people calling for joey and eventually it, it comes clear and lights you know we it's it's outside and it's daytime and the adults find joey but he's unconscious. They So they take him to his room, and they're working on him and stuff, and we see the scientists, like, interrogating 
the other kids who are telling them the truth about all the monsters they saw and stuff. And then Joey dies pretty unceremoniously. Like, they're working on him. Like, his blood pressure's really low, and then his heart stops, and then he dies, and he's just dead. And the kids want to visit his body, which the adults are like, oh, okay. <laughs> All right. So they, so they, the kids go up there. They say, the, the head bully, I think, says that he's sorry, and he, like, puts his uh, Darth Vader helmet on the bed. They all walk out, and then it becomes the scene from E.T. where the brother sees the flowers come back to life, and everybody gets all excited because they know that means that E.T. and Elliot are alive again. Um, but in this, in the cut that we saw, the toy ball starts to glow again, and like the cosmic lights start to happen again, and the freaking the, Millennium Falcon comes flying out of the room. Yes, <laughs> right. And and Pigtails walks up and just says something like, "It's Joey. He's back." And then the frame just freezes on her, framed by the doorway. So we never actually see Joey alive again. To me, it was very ambiguous. Like, is he physically alive again, or is he just, like, communicating with them from beyond? It was very ambiguous, and I found that ambiguity a little bit shocking for a movie that's clearly targeted towards kids. I was expecting a much clearer happy ending. I'm not sure either if it was just his spirit come back to kind of haunt them, or if he was alive in a glowing room. You're right. It's just completely ambiguous. It's, gosh, it's a mess of a movie. It just is so, everything's kind of unclear. So I'm not sure if it was really his dad on the phone. No. I got a sense that maybe at the end of the movie he made contact with his dad in the door, but that's not clear. Right. But it's a nice poetic thing if it's true. Right. And then even his death is kind of poetic, I guess. If if you kind of read it as this kid was so depressed and so missing his dad and so out of place in this world that the only place he could be is back with his dad and in this alternate dimension and that's where he ends up. It's it's kind of a sad poetic kind of story, but I'm just kind of throwing things out there. I don't really know. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and and then I don't know what you know uh, the the ventriloquist dummy and all that maybe was facilitating this to a certain extent. I'm not sure why the mansion had to explode into this funhouse of different creatures and monsters. Was that were they getting too close to opening this gate to this other dimension, so this other stuff was kind of coming out that they had to deal with? Ah, God, I just don't know. I mean, the movie itself. He has an impressive batch of special effects and cinematography. That's true. Especially if it was just done for like a million and so bucks. Because we watch a lot of junk yeah. <laughs> on this show. We watch a lot of head scratchers. And we watch a lot of attempts at effects and things that fall short. And, and this movie, again, like you said, if you just kind of popped in at any moment, you would think you're watching a big-budget Hollywood special effects spectacular from the 80s that was aimed at kids, which I guess it is. But it, it just has that look to it, that very big blockbuster look. It is so perfectly mimicked in the Steven Spielberg movies yeah. that it's too close. It's too close. And all it is is just these jumbled scenes 
that are direct ripoffs from these other movies that have been cobbled together into something that's completely incoherent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, I don't know really what to make of it either. Uh, I think that ultimately I leave thinking that he was actually talking to his dad on the phone. I don't know why the ventriloquist dummy didn't want him doing that. I, I don't know what the dummy's motivations were at all. And I just don't really get... You know, if he was going to die at the end, my expectation would be that everybody would understand that he was like making some sort of sacrifice uh, mm. or something. But it's just... Like, why did he have to die? I don't get it. But, you know, like you said, if it's, you know, he's with his dad or, or whatever, I mean, I guess that's nice, but that sucks for his mom. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> really, it sucks for him, who pr- presumably had a, a pretty nice life ahead of himself. You're right. <laughs> I mean, at, at least his mom has the cute teacher and oh god i don't know ultimately it was a disappointment i was really looking forward to watching it too the box art is cool uh (laughs) it it looks it looks scary i mean the ventriloquist dummy is frightening and i find them spooky anyway and I, i agree with you that in in moments it looks really good but the story is just almost incomprehensible and so because of that i wasn't really particularly invested i was just confused i was i didn't really know what was happening and so when it was over it was just kind of you know shrug your shoulders (laughs) that was that was weird (laughs) yeah what a shame kids might like it yeah there's enough cool stuff to look at and there's the cute stuff with the little robot and there's a dog in it and i wonder if kids might be able to make sense of it you know i'd be curious to show this to a kid and then ask them so what happened what what went on (laughs) and see what they say maybe if we had watched this when we were kids it Mm would have kind of been a favorite and we would have felt nostalgia for it but i have a sneaking suspicion that i did see it when i was a kid and i don't remember anything about it so it must not have made much of an impression on me then either yeah, it just kind of fell into the Steven Spielberg soup and, and dissolved away, I'm sure, in yeah. your mind. Uh, Roland Emmerich, after this, he made Universal Soldier, Stargate, Independence Day, the Godzilla flop, The Patriot, The Day After Tomorrow. Uh, he's still making movies, and uh, they're all kind of like this, right? Now, at least, they make seem to make sense, but they're all these sort of big-budget, spectacular-type things, really aspiring to that level. Not quite hitting it, but certainly he's making his mark in that in that realm, right, of the big blockbusters. Yeah. So. Well, and it seemed like that was what the focus was here. The focus wasn't on the storytelling. The focus no. was on the visual effects and the style and the look of it. And, yeah, I, I mean, he was definitely cop copying other people but if you're gonna copy somebody in the mid 80s copy spielberg you know yeah was this his first movie uh it wasn't the first movie he directed i mean he directed a couple german a couple movies before this but who knows if they're big or or small or not yeah well i mean for early in a career it, it certainly shows promise i'm not surprised that he went to go on and do big spectacle type things it it makes sense and i'm sure that he learned and and honed his craft as as time went on 
and uh, you know those those big uh, action blockbusters. They're not my favorite genre of movie, but I watch them. Um, mm. They're popcorn movies. They're fun to watch. You go in the theater and. You know, there's big explosions and it's exciting. You can see a, a beginning a of, of something good here. Yeah, right. For sure. It, it clearly became a calling card for him. Showed the style that he was capable of and uh, yeah. went on from there. Well, thank you again for listening to another episode. If you enjoyed it, please share it with a friend. As always, you can find us online. Just search for Two Guys in a Chainsaw. Uh, hit our Facebook page, our YouTube channel, uh, or our website. Any one of those places, you can leave us a comment and give us some kind of request as to what movies you'd like us to do in the future. And give us some feedback about this movie, especially if it was a childhood favorite of yours. We'd like to hear your take on what the hell was going on. <laughs> Until next time, I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. With Two Guys in a Chainsaw. Ah! <laughs>